And here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday Law and Gospel on this June the 5th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And even though we are not in the studio and we cannot take phone calls, we do have some items that we can respond to that we either receive through phone calls at home or emails. During this time, there's a lot of division in the country over people as to how they're responding to what happened to that individual who appeared to be murdered by that policeman. How do we deal with such people? It's interesting in Luke chapter 7, we're going to take a look at today, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. I I don't think we realize how astounding that is. Pharisees, of course, were part of Judaism, and there were two main groups. Pharisees, there were Sadducees, then, of course, scribes, etc. But the main difference between Pharisees and Sadducees is the Pharisees believed in a resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not. They also, the Sadducees, did not believe in spirits, etc. In fact, there's a lengthy section in the book of Acts when the Sadducees are attempting to kill the Apostle Paul. And they're going to do that by having the government bring him to them in order to answer questions. But over 40 men had made a vow they would not eat and drink until they had killed Paul. Now, of course, it was the sister of Paul whose son heard about this, warned Paul about it, and he therefore went to the government leadership and he was protected against the Sadducees. In fact, the Sadducees and Pharisees made up the Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin. And there was a big disagreement among them. The Pharisees did not want to put Paul to death lest they were going against the will of God. But the Sadducees did. Yet the Pharisees still believed in salvation by works. Now, what's so astounding about the Pharisee asking Jesus to eat with him is that in that day, for you to eat with someone meant you were an equal with them. You would never, ever see Pharisees eating with tax collectors or with sinners that they considered outside of God's kingdom. So, when the Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Now, that's what the English says. It actually is, he lay down to eat. Because the way that uh, a lot of the meals would take place, there weren't tables and chairs, but there was a kind of a short table, and you would lie down, 
your feet going away from the table, and you would hold yourself up on your elbow and eat food from that short table. That helps to explain the next part. Verse 37 of Luke 7. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, that means she was probably a prostitute. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, that's pretty expensive. And stood at his feet behind him weeping. So that helps us to understand that Jesus was prone on the floor and his head toward the table and his feet going away from the table. She stood at his feet, and what did she do? She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, here's all of this happening in the home of a Pharisee, a Pharisee who despised women who were sinners, namely prostitutes. So you can begin to imagine what he was thinking. And that's described in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself. That meant he didn't say it out loud, but he was thinking to himself, this man, referring to Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Jew who is beat up is bypassed by a priest and a Levite because if they would touch that man who may have been dead, they would become unclean and they would not be able to go to worship. But here comes a Samaritan who not only touches him, but attempts to heal him, puts him on his donkey, and takes him to an inn. So Jesus, realizing what the Pharisee is thinking in his heart, says this, verse 40, Luke 7, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee said, teacher, say it. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, that's a lot of money. Uh, A denarii would be what you would make in, say, one day's wages. And so one owed 500, the other 50. But they had nothing with which to repay, Jesus says. And he freely forgave them both. Now, the word forgive there is very helpful for us to understand what God means by forgiveness. They owed him a big debt. 
if he forgave that debt, they were now no longer to be held accountable in paying that debt. That's what forgiveness means. And therefore, it helps us to understand when Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. It means that because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, we are now no longer held accountable for our sin. So having said that, Jesus then asked the Pharisee, and I find this very interesting. I'm almost finished writing kind of a little booklet on how Jesus witnesses. He often witnesses by asking questions. Like to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the baptizer. Uh, others say you're so-and-so. Finally, Peter says, thou art the Christ. Jesus says, boy, you didn't think of that of yourself. That comes directly from the Father. The question that Jesus asked the Pharisee after talking about the two debtors who are forgiven, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee's answers, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. You see, Christianity is very confusing. But when you get a great teacher like Jesus, who can put it into a formulation that people can begin to understand better, then we already know that the Pharisee is thinking somewhat highly of Jesus. He refers to him as a teacher in verse 40. He invites him to eat with him, which is really something that normally wasn't done. And therefore, he's kind of on the path that per, remember Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they also were both Pharisees and went to Pontius Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. And so Simon answers the question that Jesus says you have rightly judged, you've rightly discerned, you've made the proper distinction. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. See, that was a kind of a common thing to do in those days because they didn't have cement sidewalks everywhere. People would travel through dusty roads. And so if they were invited to a meal, what the hosts would normally do is have a servant wash their feet uh, before they sat down or lay down to eat. Well, Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. He continues, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. 
See, that also was a custom that when you invited someone for a meal, you don't greet them with a handshake like we often do, but with a kiss on the cheek. Now, sometimes that kiss is for the wrong reason. I'm recalling in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas kissed Jesus as a sign to the soldiers that he was the one for whom they had come to arrest. But this woman kissed Jesus out of love. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. That was expensive oil. In fact, there was a conversation that Judas had with Jesus where he says, why are you allowing this woman to use such expensive oil? Could she not have sold it and give it to the poor? Jesus explains, no, she is anointing me for my burial. That's the kind of faith that she had. So, verse 47, Jesus saying to the Pharisee, Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, that can be really a confusing statement. The, the Bible appears to be filled with contradictions. C.F.W. Walther, in his great lectures on law and gospel, makes that point. And the contradictions often can be solved by making a distinction between law and gospel. It sounds like what Jesus is saying is this, that her sins are forgiven because she loved me so much. You see, her love would be the reason why God forgave her sins. But that contradicts all other parts of the Bible. For example, Jesus is forgiving the sins of those who do not love him very much. And so when we see that happening, we begin to wonder, why is Jesus doing that? He's doing that because God so loved the world. So what does this mean? That her sins are forgiven, for she loved much. What he is saying is this. The love that she has shown me is not the reason why her sins are forgiven. The love she has shown me is the evidence that she believes her many sins have been forgiven. Get back to what he had said earlier, that two men owed a debt, and the one who loves much is the one for whom the greater debt was forgiven. That's really important to keep in mind. There was nothing that the debtor did to get his debt. The only thing that God had looked at is that he was unable to repay the debt. Well, in this case, Jesus makes the point. 
he forgave one man 500 denarii, the other 50. And even Simon the Pharisee recognizes the one who will show him most love after he has done that is the one who has forgiven the most. So the love is not antecedent to getting forgiven. It's not the cause of why you are forgiven. It's actually the result of your recognizing that you have been forgiven. It's a long gospel distinction we're talking about here between justification and sanctification. There is no reason God gives in the Bible why he justifies anyone. And there are a lot of occasions when people are forgiven who don't deserve it. I'm thinking primarily of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Why would Jesus come to him? Was the Apostle Paul showing a love, a great love to Jesus? No. He was actually persecuting Jesus by going after his followers and trying to put them to death. So there's a perfect example where God came to the Apostle Paul before he was an apostle, forgave him, had him baptized, and declared him, the Apostle Paul, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul suffered much as an apostle. We already mentioned in Acts where the Sadducees had planned to put him to death. Where was the sanctification in Paul's life? He came to realize who Jesus truly was, how much he had been forgiven by Jesus, and therefore he was bold to confess the faith, even to those who did not deserve to be forgiven. So, verse 47, understanding it, I say to you, talking to Simon the Pharisee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She recognized that she had many sins, and she was now no longer to be held accountable for those sins by going to hell. And that was expressed in her by great love. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It kind of reminds me of a thing I once said here. Uh, Two neighbors, uh, the one neighbor didn't like the rich man who lived beside him. Uh, Particularly, he had a better car, a better house, a better family, and he had a tree whose leaves were always falling on the poor man's property. Well, one day what happened was that the poor man was driving backwards out of his garage, and he was doing that. Why? Because he was leaving. And as he looked in his rearview mirror, Suddenly behind him in the driveway, he saw the rich man jumping up and down, waving his arms. So he stopped the car, got out, and he says, what do you want? 
And the rich man pointed to the back of his car where the poor man's child had been sitting in the driveway, and the poor man had not realized that his son was there. Well, you can imagine the result on the part of that poor man. He now loved the rich man much. And in fact, that afternoon, he had gone over to the poor man, uh, the rich man's house and was raking his leaves as well as those that fell on his property. You see, that's what Christianity is all about. People by nature do not appreciate Jesus Christ. They can't believe that a carpenter from Nazareth actually died on a cross for their sins. It doesn't make any sense. But when they come to faith, given them by the Holy Spirit, they now begin to realize how much Jesus has done for them and how much love he has for them. And they begin a life of sanctification, having already been justified, that is, saved from their sins, they now respond with love to those who don't deserve such a response because of what Jesus has done for them. Now, once this happened, there were a number of people at the meal. Verse 49, Luke 7. And those who sat at the table with Jesus began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? See, there was no scribe or theologian in Judaism that forgave sins. They believed, many of them, that they were not in trouble because they were not sinning. They had not committed murder. And that's why they got angry with Jesus when he talked in the Sermon on the Mount that murder occurs not only when you do a bad deed against someone, but when you have a bad thought, when you say a bad word. Jesus spoke with authority. That meant that unlike the scribes who simply quoted other scribes, Jesus said things that they never had heard before, even though these things were in the Old Testament, and Jesus brought them out. Uh, We remember the road to Emmaus, the disciples. Why did he have to die? What's this about him rising from the dead? How did Jesus explain that? He did not use reason. He used the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament. And by giving them the message from the Old Testament, they came to believe in him. Verse 50, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Boy, you could do a couple of sermons on that. That's the Reformation, that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. And what is that faith? That faith is trust in the promises of the gospel. And that trust can't come about unless God gives it 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he gives that trust, then a person is saved. Go, go in peace. What does that mean? It's the words the angel said to the shepherds. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's the word that we hear every time we're in worship. We confess our sins, and we hear the words of absolution. Your sins are forgiven. Peace means there no longer is a problem between God the Father and us. There is no longer a dividing wall of hostility. Instead, Jesus has crushed that wall of hostility and brought us to peace with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So even when we're here on earth, we'll be able to speak with those who don't deserve to hear that message. And we have a lot of opportunity during this time in the United States of America. I'm Tom Baker. You listen to Open Mic Friday. On Monday, we'll continue with a Bible study from the following Sunday. Join us for Law and Gospel this coming Monday. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.